0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by New York Wines, reminding you to eat and drink local this Thanksgiving. For more information, visit
0: newyorkwines.org i'm damon bolte host of the speakeasy you're listening to heritage radio network broadcasting live from bushwick brooklyn if you like this program visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more
2: we talk about food we talk about music with musical dudes finger on the pulse snacky tunes
3: to snacky tunes i'm one half your host darren Bresnitz. coming to you live from the uh food truck extravaganza at complex con with chris schoenberger editor-in-chief for first feast welcome welcome to snacky tunes
4: what's up i've Is always it? wanted to be on snacky tunes i know man i always listen to my friend jordana rothman shout out to jordana one I, of the best guests uh jordana shout out to jordana we love you and um
3: I think that's how we first met. We were on a trip. We went up to Montreal together. Yeah, exactly. We, we almost ate ourselves into an early grave. Uh, yeah, I definitely remember lying on the floor. I think of her hotel room and t- getting y- you and your brother to book me a hotel
4: room because like I can't, I can't leave. Yeah. Um, I have a photo that you took of me outside the sugar shack, the Opie de Couchon sugar yeah. shack, when I had to take a break from the meal, and I'm just like. My face is sweating and I'm like lying outside on the porch.
3: Yeah, there's a photo of me sitting there in disbelief at the table, just being like, this is nuts. But enough about uh, getting the gout in our favorite city of the north. Um, Let's talk about Comfortons. So for those who are
4: unfamiliar with it, um, uh, what is it? That is a great question. I think we've all kind of seen what it is because it's the first time ever Yesterday, like all of us who work for Complex and First We Feast, kind of got to see what was before just a dream. Like no one knew what it was going to be, and it's kind of the vision of Mark Echo, the founder of Complex, um, you know, over a decade ago. And the the whole idea behind ComplexCon is the tagline is like URL IRL. So it's like all of the obsessions of Complex and First We Feast and Pigeons and Planes. And all the other websites in the network brought to life in one space where everyone can interact with it. So there's like an enormous, almost like a trade show, but unlike trade shows, which I don't know if you've ever been to, where people are like buyers and it's like kind of weird. This is consumer facing. So like all the brands have come with these unbelievable activations. Nike uh, has like this huge Air Force One basketball court with like Dram popping up and doing performances. And then First Week Feast has a bunch of food trucks here. We're doing our show Hot Ones Live. So it's just like everywhere you look is another spectacle. So before we we talk about First Week Feast and Hot Ones Live,
3: let's talk about a little bit of the the crowd this is for. Because, you know, anyone who's ever been to like a CMJ, a South by Southwest, something like that, that's a very specific type of like music. But there is sort of media and panels around it. What is it about this... um, Section of of youth and culture uh, that is just driving a whole different sort of creativity. I mean, you just get here and it feels just like one incredible
4: art installation after another. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to see it in the flesh because we all have sort of our own audiences that have some overlap, like you know, people who read Complex Con or sorry, people who read Complex aren't all First Week East readers because some of them are too young to sure. care about like going to a restaurant that's more than two dollars a yeah. Head, yeah. you know and so there's definitely segments but I think what you see here is like they open the doors and there's literally kids sprinting uh, it's insane to buy some sneaker that's being dropped here today so like there's that energy paired with the fact that like Jesse Williams was here doing a panel on education in America like Action Bronson, Wiz Khalifa, and the game talked about the business of weed while they, like, smoked on stage. Huh. These are just Is that weird. Legal? Is that legal out here in Long Beach? I guess so. I, guess... I have no idea.
3: Yeah. So when you start putting together the food element of this, right, I mean, you know, uh, you can see the commerce and the art and, like, the exclusivity um, with the clothing and the, the toys and the hats and the cars, how do, you, how do you bring a uniqueness to the food part of this?
4: You know, I think this is the first time we've ever done this, and we could probably do a lot more in the future for this first one. It was really about let's give people a whole range of options because this is going to be the most overstimulating event that they've ever been to, and people just need a place to chill. So, like, there were certain ones that were important for me mm-hmm. to be here, like local, I would say, because I just am excited about everything that they're doing and what they represent like yeasty boys sort of has the first we feast philosophy of like and what the is perspective of music meeting food and and like having fun with that intersection and then beyond that really just like giving people a lot of options to choose from and you can see out here people are having a good time and, and eating and like there's not a corollary i would say on the food side to some of the stuff that's happening inside which if we thought about what that would be it would be like taco bell dropping a new taco a complex gone you know which would be which would not be the worst but that's not 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 what is happening well Um, you do have the um the immersive jack-in-the-box the the immersive jack-in-the-box where you can be in a ball pit that smells like maple syrup Yes. I don't know why you would not want to do that. It's pretty awesome, and that um, I like that they're going after the brunch crowd. That sort of says a lot about where brunch is at.
3: Yeah, brunch brunch uh, has been now finally totally commodified. But let's go back to what you were talking about uh, about the food and music philosophy of Yeasty Boys and how it stands for first week feast. You know when you're looking at these people here and these collaborations it really is that like a plus b x plus y equals something completely new yeah um, and how are how, do, how are you focusing on that like what stories are you trying to tell both here and on the website and then you're starting to see stuff that's popping up at the festival
4: i mean i think the best articulation of of that idea of bringing the two things together in a way that's not corny and that people actually who like music and food respect and have fun with is the Kanye ice cream thing we do with Nick Morganstern at Morganstern's Finest Ice Cream sure. in New York so that's become an annual thing where we write a whole menu based on Kanye lyrics but they're not like the boardroom Kanye things that someone would come up with if they were like let's do a Kanye theme thing like we yeah. are talking to all the music writers at Complex and getting like these deeply referential things that just show a joy for his music uh, and I think that comes through, and then like to see it made into a physical product that you can eat, and you know ice cream is so nostalgic and people have a a lower bar when it comes to ice cream for like this has to be serious and really yeah, because ice cream in itself is is a bit of a novelty, yeah, so it sets it sets the tone for it to be a fun celebratory thing as opposed to an overthought like commercialized thing now I know that
3: uh Yeasty Boys and Local are doing some special collaborations for the festival. What did they do to make for their own, I guess, unique drop? It's no it's no new, like, Tacos Loco from Taco Bell, but yeah, it's still pretty cool to, like, be like, oh, cool, like, I got this dish this one
4: time. But what did they make? Well, to be completely honest, we had all sorts of grand schemes with Easty Boys, and we were going to do a little yachty sandwich. We were going to do a Snoop Dogg all-smoked everything with smoked salmon, smoked cream cheese, smoked bagels. None of that really happened. Okay. Evan is the man, but he had a lot going on. Yeah. And he's about to drop this YG collaboration on election day. Like a fuck Donald Trump sandwich. And let's be honest, that's more important.
3: Yeah, I would say. Because we need
4: to win this selection. Dude. <laughs> and right? I think that sandwich is gonna take it over the top.
3: You know, this so when this comes out when the show plays It's it's going to be We'll have No, uh, we'll, we'll know of one so we'll but know as we sit know How here powerful
4: this sandwich was Two days before Is Can the power of a sandwich Determine an election? I don't If, if A sandwich can't I don't know what can yeah. But um, He does have some VIP cream cheese That he's very excited about I'll just let you Imagine what that is Okay You w- can get it If you roll With the right people Would Action Bronson Be one of them? Yeah, Bronson really wanted to eat his way around yesterday when he was here. Yeah. Um, but I don't think he had the right Sherpa. Because, like, this, it's funny here. The celebrities who have come, a lot of them aren't even doing stuff. Um, and they're just hitting the floor. And they're kind of interested to see what's going on. And they're just getting completely mobbed. And all the food truck guys have been saying to me, like, Versus Coachella or other stuff they've done, this has been really cool because the artists are actually, like, coming to their trucks and interacting and being very accessible. I mean, it's different. I mean, you know, walking the
3: floor and walking uh, around the food trucks, there is this um, inclusive, you too can be part of this. Yeah. Uh, Even though there's, like, a lot of waiting in line and things like that, but, you know, how do you craft that? How How do you make something where you feel that you can be... 21 and like Starry Eye to come out to this and be like, This is for me, I'm part of this because I'm here.
4: Yeah, I mean, I give all the credit to Read Pop, which is the agency that kind of put this whole thing on. Yeah. And, you know, Mark Echo and, and the team at Complex. But I think it's a little bit of a if you build it, they will come situation where the right pieces are in place, the right sort of layers of like, okay, like hype beast sneaker drops, yeah. but also. The next level of thoughtful people in the world. And then, you know, it once everyone is in the same space, they just want to kind of come together and talk to each other. Are you seeing some of the same
3: communication and shift in, in like this democratization that you saw with like the Kogi truck? Where it was like, we're starting something, we don't have brick and mortar, it's all social, it's all about a community. You feel some of that vibe here
4: with more of, like, the, the, the T-shirt guys and the apparel guys. Do you see that? I, yeah, like, you mean, like, coming to, in real life, is it more...
3: It, it's more like, it's like, there's a direct communication. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like, yo, we're going we're gonna to be here, we're going to be putting up tacos in the next two hours. Yeah. And then here, it's like, hey, we're going to be here, we're about to drop a new shirt.
4: Yes. Well, I think what's interesting is in one sense all of this is oriented towards social media right like everyone's trying to create the Instagram moment everyone wants all of this to be blasted out on social but what it reminds you of is that if you're in that space where that's happening it just feels way different than looking at it on social media like that's just a basic human thing and I think that's what everyone has said to me and what I've heard from people who are here that they're loving that you know like talking about Eastie Boys again like he was so hyped that Carucci came to the truck and like turned out to be a huge Bagel fan I mean that doesn't happen any any day Um, All right, so we're gonna take a quick break
3: we're gonna come back talk about Hot Ones talk about uh, Snoop and Martha I'd go to that I'd go to there their, their potluck, right? Oh, any day. Do you think there was any other name for the show other than potluck?
4: I bet Snoop had a bunch of like uh, Lizzle, you know. Oh, yeah. Pot- Silly, like And Martha was probably like, shut it down, Snoop. She, I'll give you potluck. I'll give you potluck. All right,
3: well, we have a live track coming up uh, from Snacky Tunes recorded here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
5: you, but you know me, we could have been something to see. You're really nice, but I just can't, you're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so you just don't know, what about me? So damn sweet but there's no chance I like you so you just don't know what about me I thought there was a spark with us now who am I supposed to trust you wanted her instead of me so now we're in kid history you're really just You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so you just don't know. What about me? You're really nice, but I not Nice, but I just can't You're so damn sweet, but there's no chance I like you, so
2: you just don't know What about me?
3: Alright, we are back at Complex Com, Chris Schoenberger, Editor-in-Chief, I'm First we Feast be, I'm glad to be back with you Glad to be back, so happy, it's so funny we had to come to the other side of the country after meeting in Brooklyn to get the show going um, So let's talk a little bit about First Week we Feast, uh, how's the website been, you know, you first year out of the gate you win the James Beard Award, right?
4: Yeah that's what? just a bit of a peeking too early type of thing. Really? Do you feel like you peaked too early on no, that? No, not really. I think like that was hugely gratifying, and it was so awesome to win it, and it was also an important part of what to me was the strategy of the site, which was it was very clear we were going to be this pop culture-oriented food site. Like That's what I always wanted to make and to be part of Complex. It made sense to do that, but I also wanted to have a foot in... The food world that I really care about and, like, tell the stories that people who really love and appreciate food would care about, so to, to sort of win a James Beard Award to me was to create that foundation of, like, we are not just jokesters. Yeah, no, it's not, and it's it's, it's so tough to cut through
3: <laughs> the, no, not the noise, but the just, Sheer volume Of food blogs Yes um, And things like that And you guys were coming at it From a different approach It was definitely A more funny Esoteric Like uh, Sort of an insight On the joke Of how ridiculous It can get Mm -hmm. And to get that validation Allows you even I think More of a range To do more Really ridiculous stuff Which is great To keep pushing the
4: boundaries Yeah
3: Um, And so What have you seen In So how For those who don't know how, How old was First We Feast? Uh, about four years now. So what have you seen in this shift in the last four years? I mean, obviously, food festivals and being here is a big shift in it. We can talk about that. But from the website, like, what have you seen in the approach on the reporting and what people respond
4: to? I think what I've noticed a lot is coverage in general of food moving a little bit in the direction of, you know, what we cover. Not Not saying, like, we were trailblazers. Like, we were... Basing our model off of other people's as well. But you just see so many places, Bon Appetit, uh, Eater, you know, all of the different sites starting to cover the culture surrounding food (laughs) a lot more and cover pop culture more. And like, I think a sort of amusing articulation of that is the Snoop and Martha show, which they have like this chill out zone over here, which hopefully Martha will come through because I need to see her. Is she supposed to come through? According to the owner of. Fucking awesome food truck That's like the type of You know when you're at a big event like this Like weird pieces of information Come from like random sources It's funny when like The pho truck guy is like I have to prepare a spicy soup At one for like Martha Stewart and Snoop So maybe that's
3: Maybe that Maybe that's It could be
4: a little easter egg I mean let's But anyway like that's an interesting show That is like the mainstream version Of this More uh, underground thing That's been coming up Of like Where does food And music intersect In a non Cheesy way
3: Yeah I mean No one Ten years ago It's funny I think I feel like a Snoop Dogg Martha collaboration Could have happened In the 90s
4: Yeah and know? It was all based on The time when he was On her show And like yeah. We've all seen that photo Eight million times Because it's amazing And they made brownies And it was clear That they should have A show together And it yeah happened But it to me it makes sense That it's happening in 2016.
3: Yeah, I think so. And and you feel in a way, I mean, I definitely can see the correlation between the culture and agenda and conversation that first we feast and complex on a whole is pushing and then having that be here as like a lounge pop-up at complex hot. Yeah. Like it's 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 very you walk in and go like, "Yes, that should be here." And then seeing like the giant Martha and Snoop heads all around.
4: Yeah. And to, if I can go off on a quick tangent, change away, my is friend. Related. What's been interesting about this event on the whole is seeing people interact in real life with topics that are covered on the website. And when, you, when you're when you only working on a website, you're always metric-driven. So if something isn't getting numbers, if something isn't driving traffic, it's considered... A failure and something that you should stop doing immediately. Yeah. When you come to something like this, yes, people are racing to the Nike installation. Yes, there are major things, but then, you know, throughout the course of the day, they wander over to the art zone, and they're looking at, like, a Ron English thing. And I think it sort of shows that kind of like a magazine, an in-real-life experience, shows how people's interests can wander if you give them a chance to. And and it's unfortunate that websites cut that out. So, like, I always have tried to stick to my guns of doing the things that, like I said, like create that foundation of our website, what we're all about. And if they don't do the numbers, it's important to me that the right people see them or they drive the right conversation.
3: Yeah. I mean, the great thing about a website is that even if you stop, the internet never forgets. So, like, it's still up there. Um, but it's... T- I mean, it's its tough when everything is so immediate. You know, there needs to be a time to marinate a little bit. I mean, to be... You know, honestly, if I came here today and you said this is Complex Con number 5, I would absolutely believe you. Yeah. But I think that's because so much of the philosophy of the magazine and we Feast and everything is so... In focus, And there's such a desire to be here. But it feels so cohesive, which you would never get out of the gate. And you walk around and you see the food. And then you go and see the art. And then you see the commerce. And, like, it's just, it's come together so so well. Yeah. Um, now, in addition to that, you guys also have uh, a very, very hot show. Hot as in spicy, we call hot ones. Uh, for those who are not familiar with that, um fiery show. <laughs> what is fire it? Fire emoji. I, I mean, no, it's like fire poop emoji, fire emoji. Um, what uh
4: what how did that come about? That came about because we like everyone wants to be a video first website. Sure. Like you have to be if you're gonna compete. And so once we had kind of found our voice on the website the next challenge was how were we going to translate that to video and i hadn't really made that much video so it was a big learning experience and i think our our, our original inclination was to kind of be a little bit more serious so we translated our 10 dishes that made my career series into video for example yeah and those were nice and i look back at them and they're great clips and we featured amazing chefs and Beautifully shot and all that But they just didn't rate And I think yeah. Video even more so Than the website You need to entertain people Yeah And I was like Let's do The type of show That I always liked Which was basically An interview show With some sort of Like Subversive element like, Yeah So there was this show That Alexa Chung Who's now sort of like In every fashion ad ever oh, yeah uh, And like a Fashion it girl She used to have a show In England Uh, for teens where she interviewed celebrities and she would do like the weirdest funniest interviews with them Um, and that's what I wanted to create and it was like let's create a food element that would provide that sort of you know undercutting element that would that would throw the celebrities off and basically it's a way of like stripping down the facade of celebrities and getting real answers from them. I mean, how did you pick...
3: It's it's so... So they progressively eat hotter and yeah, hotter so 10, wings. Yeah, there's
4: ten wings from, like, sriracha to is it 10 one of those is it 10, novelty... Is it, 10, is it ten questions? Ten questions. Too? One of those novelty sauces, Blair's Megadeth with Liquid Rage. Our host, Sean Evans, who's an incredible interviewer, basically takes them through this challenge. Every question has a related wing, and once they start sweating and, like, their head is like going to explode they just get into competitive mode they're not thinking straight and they tend to just have fun Yeah, like it's the it's really been fun that people will leave the interview and there are people who go on press junkets and that's like kind of the worst day of their year you know like they don't yeah. want to answer the same questions all day every day a lot of the people on, who come on the show are like, that's the most fun interview I've ever done. And they're yeah. starting to tell their friends, like, you need to do hot ones. So I want it to be millennial Larry King, millennial oh, yeah. Charlie Rose, like, everyone come through.
3: I mean, speaking of the election, if, like, if in uh, 2020, 2020, 2020, you can get the presidential presidential uh, nominees like, I feel
4: like it's a must stop if you're on the road to the White House I've,
3: I've, I feel like
4: you're there too I mean do the questions get hotter like do the questions get more intense Add- funny that's like our tag, Our tagline was always like the questions get progressively hotter but it's you know like what does that mean but it, yeah do we always try to have the 10th one be either hilariously inane or like the question where people are like, "Fuck you!" I'm dying on hot sauce. Can we swear on? Yeah, yeah, you can swear. Tunes? You can swear on. Tunes. We
3: have, we don't just like on hot
4: one. ones. Just a on hot one. Internet. Yeah. internet, the internet's great the internet. for swearing. Yeah. You know,
3: but I, uh, um, has anyone not finished all ten? Did anyone bow Yeah, out?
4: there's a, a hall of shame. Uh, Rob Corddry, Jim Gaffigan, Mike like, Epps, all the older comedians yeah. who are like, "I've been around the block. I don't need this for my career. Like, I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone." Yeah, uh, and then the most epic failure of all time which gets mentioned every single week is dj Khaled, who only made it three wings in and then questioned the entire premise of the show and suggested that it was irresponsible wow but that was like classic dj Khaled, and the fact that he always gets talked about is kind of incredibly genius by him like i think he knew what he was doing oh yeah i mean
3: another one another one except for unless it's a hot wing (laughs) So what's next? So Complex Con, I mean I can't imagine I know obviously we're still like in it. Yeah. And this is gonna play after it airs and everyone's gonna take a step back, but like, there's no way there's not another year, right?
4: Oh that yeah, Complex Con is already in the works for next year. And awesome. something that I'm really excited about which we haven't talked about at all and like there's not much information to share, but I'll I'll tell you yeah. is that we are hoping to kind of build off this to create a food festival. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but this has been really galvanizing to see how well this came together. And if we could kind of, like, articulate First We Feast in real life in the way that Complex has been articulated here, I think we would have something special.
3: I mean, there's definitely room for a food festival with a First We Feast tone. I mean, I think, like, Feast up in Portland... Sort I love of, feast. which is like I think everyone who loves food festivals is like you know Mike Thielen and Bolt like do amazing stuff, but none.
4: I like, think you've like probably been to way more than I have, but in I the past it, few years, there's been this uh, move towards what would the ultimate? Yeah. Food and culture thing look like, and it's gone two ways. It's been like guga Muga, where they attempted to have food be M- the main event, yeah. and then music around it. Or every big music festival under the sun now has like a great food lineup, yeah. like Coachella. But I don't think anyone sort of like merged them perfectly well, because they're such yeah. different experiences.
3: I mean, I think I think the uh, the the innate issue is that maybe food and music like the music part is not the right part to join. Maybe it's food and the culture that Complex has and like maybe it is art. Maybe it's a food and art festival. Maybe it's a food and like like youth culture festival. Yeah, I think that f-
4: food scale is a big issue. It's and a big, it's it a big issue. And if it gets too big, it's hard to deliver a good food experience to people. So if you look at Kind of what's happening on the floor here, if you could translate that into food, where it's a huge space, but each individual pod yeah. is a smaller scale experience. That with food could be really, really cool.
3: I mean, and look, everyone there—those lines are 100 people deep. Everyone is smiling and excited to get it. I know if you had a 100-person deep line at a food festival, grumbly fucks, grumbly. Oh yeah, just oh. like, like, god damn it. God damn well, it. Food people are spoiled, pampered. I know, but awful. you gotta get the youth culture into the food. Like, there's gotta be a generational shift. I think what it is as well is you gotta start getting a generational shift of people going to the food festivals to get a new type of festival. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, Chris, I know you're a busy man. Uh, we always c- have time for you, though. This was fun. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, where can people go for First Week Feast and updates on Complex Con
4: next year? Uh, just keep following us at First We Feast on Twitter. Come to the website. We'll, we'll get it all out there and go watch the live hot ones that were shot with Tony Hawk here yesterday. That was he awesome. Do? He made it through. He bodied it. Pretty much like wasn't affected almost. And there was a surprise drop in by D'Angelo Russell from the Lakers who just came and ate the hottest wing. So if his season starts to spiral, it might be because of that. Awesome. Well, listen, we have another live track
3: coming up. That's a here on Snacky Tunes. Stick around. Chris, congratulations. Thanks again. And shout out to our man Tyler as well, who helped put this all together. Uh, we will be back in a few minutes with a live band here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
4: Thanks so much.
2: Is a perfect day
1: Thanksgiving is a great time to support New York farmers, including local wineries. Find great white wines, red wines, and rosés from Long Island, the Hudson River region, the Finger Lakes, and beyond at New York City wine shops and restaurants. This Thanksgiving, New York Wines is proud to partner with Fleischer's Craft Butchery, which supports local farmers raising heritage-breed turkeys in New York State. With a healthy dose of ingenuity and a collaborative winemaking culture, The number of wineries in New York has grown exponentially over the last 10 years, as has the quality of the wines they produce. New York is a world-class wine region offering quality, variety, and value. The perfect trifecta for a bountiful Thanksgiving feast. For information on more than 400 New York wineries, please visit newyorkwines.org. Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. If you're a fan of Fleischer's, please go back to the Snacky Tunes archives
3: and check out our interview with Josh Applestone from years ago. It was fantastic. We have Day Wave live in studio. Jackson, Alex, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. Are we allowed to say that Alex is part of Daywave, given your solo path?
6: Well, yeah, sure. He's part of the live band, so it's okay. definitely... I, when I'm, I make all the music by myself, but then I have like, a group of friends that play it live with me, so you know, they're all part of it, too.
3: Okay, so then, Alex, get on that mic when you want to jump in here. Hey. Uh, so you started off as a Berkeley College of Music grad, as a jazz drummer. Yeah. How did you get into the drums, and how did you get out of the drums as well?
6: Um, I started playing drums when I was about nine or so. I was already really into music, just buying CDs and things, and uh, my parents were into me playing an instrument, so they got me a drum set, because they thought it was like a little less, I think, cliche than playing guitar or something. They just wanted to give me something a little different. And yeah, they got me a drum set, and I started taking lessons, and... I did that through high school and around high school, I got really into like trying to get really good at it and uh, like do more complex stuff. So that's how I got into jazz. And then I went to college for it. And then after like during the first year, I was like, yeah, like this is fun, but like this isn't really what I want to be doing with music. So I was kind of having to do some, you know, soul searching. Like, what do I really want to do? I'm like at music school.
3: Would you like crush a solo and be like, is this all that there is? Is this uh, what I really want? I mean,
6: yeah. I would like sit in the practice room and just like shred as hard as I could. And then I was like, what am I doing?
3: This sucks. <laughs> There's like four dudes who adapt yeah. you being like cool. Yeah. You're like, mm, I don't know. Is, and this, then, is this right?
6: Yeah. So then I like just started getting more into like production stuff, like getting into programs like Reason and Logic and Pro Tools. And then started teaching myself piano, and then I just, eventually I got, I had so much fun doing that
3: stuff that I just stopped playing drums. I didn't even notice it happen. Did you feel that even though you had lessons taking drums, teaching yourself the other production and piano parts of it, all that being self-taught, did that just come easier? Or did you have people who helped you out? or Well, and- at,
6: at being at Berkeley, I was taking music theory classes and ear training classes, so that like helped me just understand how to teach myself piano and then um i took like some basic music technology class and that helped me sort of wrap my head around logic a little bit and then i switched my major to production so i actually took a bunch of classes on like how to record audio and stuff
3: was that a scandal Uh, no (laughs) was there one jazz drum
6: teacher who was very upset yeah there actually was this guy kenwood denard who's like probably my coolest teacher he uh he was pretty bummed. He was like, No, you should do this, man. You should keep playing drums and I was like, I
3: don't think I'm going to <laughs> Sorry, Professor. Yeah. My path calls another way. And so after music, where did after college where did you go? Um, after college I I moved
6: to Brooklyn for like a few months just to check it out because I was in Boston already. So I figured just check out um check out New York since it's so close. And uh I had kind of started a band with my friend uh, called Carousel And we it was just sort of still learning the ways of writing songs And getting comfortable with it And it was kind of like a synth-pop type thing And then um, after that we moved to LA And then after that I decided like I was kind of sick of doing the synth-pop thing And it wasn't really what I wanted to do and so I moved back to the Bay
3: Area where I was from, and then I started Daywave. You talk about the influence of New York and L.A. scene on bands versus being in Oakland. Mm-hmm. How, does, how do you feel those cities affect being in a band and being perceived as being in a band versus what you find in your hometown?
6: I think it just depends on like your perspective of the whole thing. If you kind of realize that it doesn't really matter where you are to make music and to get it out there on the Internet... Um, So just being in some of those cities, they can sometimes distract you or make you think it means something to be in a band. But um, I think that you can be in those places and and do make really great music and stay humble and like realize that there's more to the world. But for me, it was easier to move back home where there's like no entertainment or anything, entertainment industry, and just uh, kind of just be a hermit for like a year and think about like what's the music that I really like and what do I want to make and do I really want to do music and then I, w- I, I was so not distracted that it was really easy for me to figure out what I wanted to do and then now I could live in a place like New York or LA and feel like I had a little bit more perspective
3: over the whole thing What records were you listening to when you went back home to refocus post carousel?
6: Um, Like Pet Sounds um, and uh, I was listening to a lot of like Smashing Pumpkins and New Order and Joy Division and mostly Pet Sounds. So Pet Sounds was like every morning like, you know, had my coffee and like sit there and just listen to that or like ride my bike and just, yeah, and like a lot of Phil Spector and um,
3: yeah, kind of a lot of stuff. And as, when you left those cities and went back home, how long did it take for you to begin to form the sound of, of the band? And how were you able to codify it and pull it together? Was it, a couple demos here riffs here finding a certain guitar a certain um, pedal well the first thing i did was i bought a
6: guitar uh because i didn't play guitar so as a famous guy yeah. said i heard
3: you're getting rid of your turntables and buying yeah, a guitar
6: yeah yeah i know i love that song um <laughs> And it, right when I was like listening to that song as I was doing this, I was like, "God damn it!" You're I'm, like checklist. I'm such a cliche. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you could have gone the other way. Yeah. The, the song gives you <laughs> both options. But I didn't actually play guitar, so I just wanted. It, for, it was really just like I your wanted, parents saw to that. I wanted to re inspire <laughs> myself to like be into music, making music. Um, and I was kind of boxed in with like keyboards and stuff. So I was like, "All right, if I look at, if I do it from a different angle with guitar, maybe it'll, um." be like fun again so I got a guitar and then I guess I just started recording recording it and it took me a few like I would make full songs and I would finish them and uh and I started to figure out how I could like make the guitars sound cool together and I just I got a tape machine and like a cassette deck and then I was recording through that to try and make it sound a little more like characteristic and then that I was like all right this is a little too lo-fi I want like a little more like low end so then I moved up to like some reel to reel and then uh once I got that tape machine I was like okay I think this is kind of the sound that I want to start out with and then I realized it was kind of lo-fi but that was cool because I had like some somewhere to go with it for when I if I wanted to do an album or two albums or whatever like it could like grow
3: and as you began to play out in Oakland and you would meet other people and they would invite you to come hang out, did you politely decline in your own solitude? Or yeah. how did you keep the distance as you still developed the sound? Um, no, I, I just didn't really meet that many people.
6: Um, I kind of just had my friends that like I grew up with that I always played music with, and they were still there. And we we're I was kind of roommates with some of them. So I don't know. We, I had like a group of friends that I hung out with. But yeah, I didn't really... Like, while I was making the band or the music, I wasn't really playing shows for a while, so I wasn't going to shows or anything. I wasn't meeting any other bands or anything like that. Can we hear a song? Uh, Yeah. What are you going to play for us first? Uh, This is Wasting Time. It's the newest one we put out. Awesome. Here live on Snacky Tunes.
3: you also had cipro toxicity
6: um yeah what is that um it's kind of just like fluoride poisoning whoa yeah how did you get it uh i took a drug called cipro um and it's just like an antibiotic um called, it's like classified as a fluoroquinolone so like the main ingredient is in it is fluoride and I just had, like, a bad reaction to it, which is pretty normal. It actually says on the bottle, warning, may cause tendon rupture and may cause permanent nerve damage. So when I got it and they gave it to me, I was like, uh, this sounds real bad. Like, in the the uh, pharmacist was like, yeah, like, it's pretty sketch, but you'll be all right. And then I took, like, one and felt okay. Took two, my second one, felt kind of weird. And the third day, like, my joint started hurting, so I just, like, stopped and I started researching, and I was like, uh-oh, like, this is a really fucked up drug. And then, um, yeah, I just, like, I just kept feeling worse and worse over the next, like, six, seven months until I finally started to feel better. I figured out how to, like, start feeling better.
3: How did you start to f- figure out? How to start I through? stopped
6: eating sugar and grains and stuff to, like... Is this long term or is it? Yeah, it's pretty much long term. But uh, I'm I've been all right recently. So uh,
3: I had Guillain-Barré syndrome last year, which oh, is really? like I very. Don't know what that is. Uh, it's when you essentially become paralyzed all over your body. Whoa! So I only ask because I'm curious how this affected your kind of mental state and your approach to your art and your craft and kind of just yeah. life in general.
6: Um. Well, I mean, it definitely. There's been time. One of the. Th- um, one of the main symptoms is like really like crippling anxiety. So sometimes when, if that's happening, like I can't really do much. And then when that sort of subsides for periods of time, I'm just like so thankful that I'm like feel sort of normal mentally again. And, um, so yeah, I mean, it's been like something I can write music about and something that like when I make music, it helps me feel better if I'm feeling super anxious or something. Um, and then also it's just, you know, makes you real foggy and, um, you know, the one thing is like, I kind of have some neuropathy in my hands from it. So like, I sort of fear that like, it'll not, I can't play instruments or something, but so far I've
3: been okay. In some of those darkest hours, what are some of the promises you made to yourself? when you said, when I get better, or if I get better, that you would do in relation to your life or to the the music?
6: Uh, Well, one thing is that I will, like, stay super healthy and stay better because after, like, the first year, I I got myself to a point where I was, like, totally better. And then I, like, over the holidays last year, I just, like, thought I was in the clear and I just, like, went out drinking and partying with my friends through the holidays and then I, like, got worse again. And I was like, fuck, like, all right, I'm
3: not doing that again. (laughs) So I've been staying pretty healthy now and... And did this affect the tone or the... I mean, you said that you wrote about it in the music, but did it change any and shape the music and the, the work that you put, put out while you're going through it and, and afterwards?
6: Um, yeah, I think it did because it happened right before I started making the music for this project, so the whole time I was just kind of in a
3: bad mood about it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that you taught yourself how to produce everything, which influenced how you made the, the EPs and, mm-hmm. and put it out yourself. There are some artists who refuse to listen to anybody else. They don't want any outside influence because they think it leads to second-guessing. I would say that if you have anxiety, it might even contribute to it. How did that affect or or where did it lie in the decision just to go it alone, the whole thing? I mean, most people even send it out to get mastered and you just did everything. I
6: didn't think – well, I thought – I wasn't opposed to working with anybody else, but I thought that I could do enough on my own to get to a point where – maybe I would get like a label to help me out and then at that point maybe I could work with somebody but I mean to work with somebody that I thought was better than me I thought I had to spend money so I was like I don't I'm not going to spend any money on like you know unless I really feel like it's worth it and they didn't really have any money to spend on it so (laughs) I figured I'll, I'll just have to do it myself um Cause I know, like I knew that I, I knew that I could do it. I just, I knew that there was a ceiling to what I could do, um, but I don't know. I kind of surprised myself a little bit. I felt like it, the music has turned out better than I thought uh,
3: I could do by myself. <laughs> well, what's interesting is that the music can be be manipulated at any part in the process, either through the songwriting and the recording. Were there times where you sang the song or laid something down where you said, I'm going to change that or manipulate that in, in the mix or the mastering to get a, a different desired effect? Um, yeah, I mean, there's been
6: times where I, like, recorded a song all the way through and then went back and, like, thought uh, something about this sounds too, like, generic or something, so I'll change it. For instance, on the song Drag, um, like, I had all of the bass on that was electric bass. And I just, like, listening back, I was like, something about this just sounds too generic to me. So I, like, took out the electric bass and replaced it with, like, kind of, like, tinny-sounding guitars doing the bass line. And then to get the low end, I just had, like, a, one of my old synthesizers, like, do that. And then it just totally gave me the effect I wanted, which was, like, a little less, like,
3: rock, like, basic rock song production. And how do you feel the set's yourself up for all future producers that you have to work with for being so masterful of your own sound or are you open to Um, working with other people yeah
6: i'm definitely open to it um i think right now what um is the best for me is to like make almost make everything make the whole album all the way by myself and then work on it with somebody and then be like all right this is what i've done you know, and then maybe somebody can help me make it better.
3: I always believe in the process that even if you're not a master of it, you should push it as far as you could possibly go. So someone can't come in and do low hanging fruit. They should be picking stuff from the very, very top. You're like, Oh, I can get on a ladder and get up there, but you know, you've got a a cherry picker. So you got to go all the way up there to get things to to it. Yeah. And
6: like, if exactly, you can like see if somebody can help me get it to a point where it's better than it is. And then you can like, I could listen to how I had it before, and if I'm like, wait, the way I had it was better, then, like, you know that maybe you're working with the wrong person or something.
3: I also think that they will respect that you took it to a point, and they'll also maybe give you a bit of a deeper or even a much deeper insight than just going, oh, okay, this kid doesn't know anything, so we'll throw a couple EQs on there and everything, take the paycheck and kick him out the door.
6: Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, that sort of thing has kind of happened to me in the past, like, a few years ago or something. So I sort of learned... From going through it. You gotta go through all that stuff to know.
3: Uh can we hear another song? Sure. What are you gonna play for us?
6: Um should we play drag? Okay, so one, two, one, two, three, four.
2: to drag, but I'm not like that, and I know that I'm too hard to find, and I don't make time, and I'm just like that. Just like that You say
3: So from going in your own isolated world of Oakland and pushing this out, you've got accolades from Jason Bentley, Zane Lowe, NME, Fader, Stereogum, Noisy. As that began to happen, what were your, what was your reaction and what was your thought of having to leave your own little kind of enclave and go out and share this with the world? Um, yeah, it was.
6: It was. I definitely didn't expect it to... I mean, I think there's always this... I mean, for me at least, I've always had this feeling of like, no, I can't do that. I'm not like one of those guys who's good at music or who can like make cool songs. That's the <laughs> so Cypriot like, toxicity talking. Yeah, <laughs> I just always was that way. Like, I didn't think I would get into music school, and I always, I don't know, I was just always like self doubting. But once, um, like, yeah, I think like one of the big things was like when Zane Lowe was playing it, I was like, whoa, this is the guy who interviews Kanye and like is a real deal music guy and um yeah it was kind of I don't know I felt like I need to make sure the live thing is good and that we're doing it justice and that one of the things was like I don't want to use backing tracks because I feel like that's kind of like I don't know it just wasn't like I feel like the the songs are kind of raw in a way and even if we can't completely emulate every single thing. I would rather have it be more live than have backing tracks because I feel like it
3: would do the music more justice. I also think in modern times, we've now gone through so many bands that it sounds like it's in a studio. Yeah. People really appreciate something that's just a little bit live. That's true. I know yeah. it's a bit different. Or mm-hmm. I've always been bummed when it just sounds like the record at home just turned up to 11. Yeah.
6: I know. Every time I see a band and I'm like, Wait, I feel like I'm being tricked here because there's all of this other stuff happening and it's just something about it. and I've done it in the past with carousel, like we use backing tracks and stuff and I just I don't know. It was it's also a nightmare to use all that stuff and like your computer crashes or you unplug a USB and like everything shuts down and it's really embarrassing, but I don't know, just by seeing bands who were I mean, a lot of bands use backing tracks and some of them are really cool and it's fine, but for me I just felt like it was kind of I don't know. I didn't want to trick the audience and, and
3: when you see a really talented live band that's truly live, yeah. it's something else.
6: And you brought up LCD sound system a little bit ago and like that was that band's like amazing live. And they, I mean they've got a lot of people to play everything, but still I want to work up to that where the, I'm at the point where I can have more people and we don't have to use backing tracks and you know yeah like now i feel like the way we're doing it is like a little almost stripped back from the recording because we can't do everything but it's still i
3: think it comes across well and as you move forward to signing record deals and Mm -hmm. all of that uh, you have exerted a large amount of control over your sound and, and process how does that go to influence you what type of deal you sign and who you look to work for as you grow your world
6: um well i just signed a deal with harvest records uh and I'm doing my first album with them, which "Wasting Time," the song that I just put out, is part of. And um, when does that come out? Uh, the album will be in the new year, like I'll uh, we'll just say sure. Q1. Yeah, I'm not sure, <laughs> but yeah, Q1. Um, and it's been really cool. Like they've seen, like they came to shows and stuff, and they saw that like there was people coming out, and it was like already having a little life of its own. And so they they were really cool about um, just being like let's do what you want to do let's, we'll try to make it better and as good as we can but we don't want to jeopardize what you're already doing so that was really the most important thing
3: and did you find you knew that you wanted to ask for certain things that some of the things in the deal were just not that important you said oh, I don't definitely. really care what were some of the things that were not important that were on the table um, just, like, a huge, like, upfront recording cost. Like,
6: I just felt like that wasn't necessary. Like, let's not waste money on that because I'll do it cheaply. And, I mean, I did all my EPs for zero dollars. So I was like, let's just maybe spend, like, $5,000 and see what we get. And then, uh, and then we can go from there. And if we want to, you know, bring in someone to help mix or something, which is what we ended up doing. And so I thought that was really cool. And, um, yeah, there's just certain things that, you know, are more important, like, Having, like, some tour support is important, you know, like, to help you get to go play shows for all these people and that want to see it, and uh, I don't know, it's it's pretty cool to, like, have the, the help from a label. And there was also a lot of things that we had already done before the label, so it's kind of like you have that upfront conversation of, like, okay, so we've done this, um, we've, whatever it is, we've done all these things, like, so... Let's do some other things, or let's step forward from here. And just, you know, you want to be clear about what you want from the relationship and stuff.
3: Time to bring in the cherry picker. Yeah, yeah. So between now and Q1 record release, you've got some shows. Yeah.
6: Where are you playing? I know you're in New York this week. Um, Yeah, this is actually the last one. Oh. Um, Yeah, uh, we just did L.A. and San Francisco, Chicago, and Toronto. And then we're doing Babies All Right. Tomorrow love, night Love Billy and those guys Yeah I'm super excited New it's York we've, we've really only done One headline show In New York before And it was our It was like our Second show ever. Where was it? Mercury Lounge Okay I mean yeah.
3: Two great yeah. venues That's wonderful Well I we want to make sure That we have Time for one more song Thanks for coming out Yeah thanks yeah, for thank having you. us Really really great um, And what are you going to do Between on the break um, I don't know Maybe try and write Another album Just a casual <laughs> you know? Stay healthy Uh, Yeah, And where can people find the first EPs, sign up, um, get information about the upcoming record? I guess Twitter, um, Facebook, I guess just
6: type in Daywave on Google. Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, We want to thank... The handle is Daywave Music, actually.
3: Perfect. (laughs) We want to thank ComplexCon and First We Feast and Daywave Music. And we just want to take a moment to say after this tough week that... If you're feeling lost or you feel that you are unsure of the future, there is something that you can do every single day to move yourself into the right direction. Donate to a cause, volunteer, just don't be silent and don't be compliant. We'll see you next week with another episode of Snacky Tunes. Thanks for listening. What's the name of the song you're going to take us out with? Um, you Are Who You Are. That actually sounds absolutely fitting after this week. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. guys, for joining, and uh, cool. we'll be back next Thank
2: week. You. Thanks, man. Who you are, cause you are.